Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 401. Hello, and welcome to The Premed Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Premed Years. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. I have an amazing guest today, and I I think it wasn't planned this way, but I think it was meant to be uh, after my kind of sobering episode 400 last week, which if you didn't listen to, I would recommend you go listen to. It was kind of a state of the the pre-med union address where I I basically said I was very disappointed with the WMC and with a lot of what's going on and wanted to figure out how I can help and be part of the solution to this. And Dr. Tade Ayeni reached out to me earlier this month and said, hey, here's who I am. Here's uh, what I do. Here's what I want to talk to you about. And it was just very fortuitous. Dr. Ayeni is the Director of Diversity and Equity at Hackensack School of Medicine. And we had an amazing conversation about diversity and equity and and so much more just about why the medical schools are doing this, why it's important to them, and how you can help. So that is the conversation that you are about to have. Uh, I, I had a blast talking to Dr. Ayeni, and uh, we're definitely going to keep talking. And And I, I mentioned a project that I'm working on with him, and uh, I'm excited to continue our relationship. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. This is Dr. Tade Ayeni, Director of Diversity and Equity at Hackensack School of Medicine. Tade, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's, it's definitely a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. I'm excited that you reached out to me. Why don't we start with a little bit about who you are, where you're at in this whole pre-med medical school world? 
Okay, sure, sure. So um, my, my uh, well, what I'm currently doing now is I'm the director of diversity and, um, and uh, equity at uh, Hackensack School of Medicine, which is, which is in North New Jersey. Uh, my background prior to that is uh, teaching at the collegiate and at the graduate level, uh, diversity, equity, social justice, and all those related things. And my real specialty is um, how, does that, how does that look when you actually put it into practice? Um, those are easy concepts to get, but, they, but once you try to actually apply them, super messy. Uh, so that's, so that's kind of what I do. Diversity and equity, diversity and inclusion is another common title that some people here at different medical schools will have. I think a lot of pre-med students will hear that term and they go, oh, wait, I, I know who you are or I know that office. They've reached out to me before after I took the MCAT. Right. The, the MCAT, a lot of students aren't aware that there's a checkbox when you register for the MCAT and take it that flags yeah. something in the system to say, hey, I'm, I'm underrepresented minority um, mm-hmm. and, and schools will go, hey, like we're interested in you. Talk, talk about that process and just just briefly, because that's probably the most common interaction that a lot of students are going to have with the, the D&E and DNI uh, offices at medical schools. Uh, yeah, so let me talk about the the actual the actual background to that. Uh, so people might ask, doesn't that create like an unfair advantage? Why do they get all this attention? Um, well, a number that 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 should be should be startling to us is this: um, the so you have the modern civil rights movement in in the 1960s. Uh, from the time of of the 1970s, the number of black male doctors has not increased. Yep. So we have the so we have the same rate yeah. of uh, black male doctors as in 2020 as we had literally right after the modern civil rights movement. I'm talking black and white TV, right? Yeah. Um, and so what that and so what that does in terms of uh, practice is that there's just a huge deficit. Nothing wrong with 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 a white with with a white male doctor. That's that that is wonderful. Whenever anyone with a heart for serving people becomes a doctor, and um, what we're seeing is that the more diversity you have um, within a field, it's not just you know so that we can kind of tick a box. It's because it really strengthens that field. That creates diversity of thought. Hopefully, sometime within uh, within this time, I'll I'll tell you a really interesting uh, story about um, about a fourth year Harvard med student that'll really kind of um, that that or really kind of bring that point out but mm. but uh basically that's that's uh that's that's why you see the kind of emphasis on that yeah and then uh, i'll just stop you full full stop right there just just to hammer home that thought for the the student listening or, or watching this on youtube if you have any doubt or question potentially about affirmative action, about why medical schools want to reach out to minorities who who may have less stats than you and, you're, and you think that's not fair, know that the data 
proves and proves and in, in, in quotes because data is data yeah. and yeah. manipulate anyway. But but the data shows that when there's more diversity of thought, as you mentioned, when we have voices and upbringings just representing different parts of our country, different parts of our world, we have better outcomes. So we yeah. we obviously want better outcomes. So just get on board with, okay, better outcomes is what I want. Okay, I will accept, right? If, if, if anything else, just take that. Yeah, and, and, and you know what I would get, uh, so just to, so to kind of add on to that, is a uh, common uh, thing that I hear is I am a white male. I, I am a straight white male from a middle class to wealthy uh, town. Uh, does that mean that, that med schools are not looking for me? What I would say is this. If you want to differentiate yourself in terms of, of uh, diversity, you just start working towards, towards that now. Because what we're simultaneously looking for is, on the one hand, um, we don't have enough black male doctors. We don't have enough black female doctors. We don't have enough, um, we, we don't have enough doctors from, from, from all these types of backgrounds. But on the other hand, what we're looking for is um, you could be a white male doctor who has who has never interacted with anything related to diversity, mm. or you could be a white male doctor who, for lack of a better term, gets it. And yeah. you'll still have a huge impact within any community that, that uh, you actually uh, work towards. So, it, so, if, so if you're not from one of these um, kind of underrepresented backgrounds and you have that concern, one thing you can do is, is start working towards, towards, towards diversity today. That'll be a huge feather in your cap later on. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think it was a YouTube video that I did not not too long ago, where I talked about diversity and and the the kind of diversity essay that's very common on a lot of secondaries for medical schools. And I, I the way that I framed it for students was don't especially for that right that cisgendered white male yeah. is don't think about it from oh I don't. I can't bring diversity to the class because yeah. I'm a white guy. The color of my skin doesn't allow that. The The core of the question is really going back to that thought diversity is what are your experiences? What are your skills? What are your traits? What are you bringing from that arena to the class? And how are you going to add to the class? Not I'm a black guy, so therefore I'm diverse. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and uh, you know, like what I've, what, what I would really say to that is that um, sometimes what is, so let me tell you about something. It's just a quick 30 second uh, story, something that, that uh, happened to me. I was, I was in a work situation and one of my white female coworkers reached over and touched my hair and okay, if you know black people, like, Who's no, no, get your greasy you know, hands that, off my head. <laughs> that, is, that is just, you know, you just, you yeah. just try not to touch other humans, right? <laughs> Unless they ask you, right? So, um, so it, it happened once and it was so yeah. like shocking that I just didn't do anything. I just kind of looked uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and then did, did, did she appreciate that she was like, Oh mate, mate I shouldn't have done that. No, no. And, 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 you know, what I would say is that she had no type of bad intention. We had a really good relationship. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, it wasn't like she was trying to make me uncomfortable. Yep. And then it happened again where she was kind of reaching towards my hair and I was leaning away. And one of my white male uh, colleagues kind of, kind, kind of looked at her like, Oh no, 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 we can't do yep. that. And that was, and that was really powerful. Um, that like, you know, of course a black person can actually tell you, Hey, that's not okay. And here's, 
and here's why here's why that is okay but um you know one thing that that just in the field of diversity that we're looking to do more and more is we're trying to make this a responsibility of everyone if you're a human then diversity matters to you it's not if you're part of a minority group so to see him kind of react the way that you would expect me to react was really powerful she got it and and also i felt like wow thank you for that you know and so that's so so things like that that's how um uh you 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 know you could be part of a group that is traditionally not considered minority in any way but you still have very much a a a kind of important role to play yeah Talk about it from a medical school perspective, right? Again, the, the the student listening or watching this is going to be the student who is applying for one of those coveted spots. And yep. their guess and, and some people's stances, look, the, the students with the the best GPAs, the best, the best MCAT scores, the most shadowing experiences and clinical experiences, those are the ones that should be getting those spots in medical schools, right? And just if we want to ignore what I said a minute ago about diversity of thought is better for everyone, we want to ignore that for a second. Talk about what that process is like from a medical school perspective, why they or why you are so um, uh, so focused on bringing in that diversity, why you have to be so focused on it, number one, why why aren't African-American students scoring just as well on the MCAT, right? If you look at the AAMC data, it's almost 10 points lower on average for African-American mm-hmm. students, which is horrendous. Yeah. Um, uh, why, why is there so much focus on it just from, not, not from a we want diversity standpoint, but why does there need yeah. to be that focus on it? And then number two, really, what, what is the process that a school goes through to, to find those students? Yeah, so... Um, let me give you a kind of current a a current thing that ha- that just happened three months ago. So I think it was in April. Um, people started looking at all the COVID nineteen deaths uh, in um, Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And what they found was this: uh, Black residents of Chicago made up sixty eight percent, so almost seventy percent of all the COVID nineteen deaths. Yeah. But black people only make up 30% of Chicago's population. So they make up less than half of the population, but they're dying, but, but they're still making up the majority of those deaths. And, you know, people started asking, how could this be? Well, there's one simple stat that, that will really help with that. You look way before COVID and you say, what's the difference in terms of life expectancy for a black resident of Chicago versus a white resident? It was, it was actually nine to 10 years. Mm. So, so, so way before COVID, what, what we were saying is if you're black and you live in Chicago, um, everything is equal. You will die probably nine to 10 years earlier than that person who lives in the same city in the same country, 45 minutes down, down the street. Why? Because of all these different social determinants of health. And so, um, what we're finding within the, within the uh, medical field is that, um, People are having drastically different results related to health. Uh, so, so that's the kind of background. Now, we say, how do we fix that? What, what can we do about that? We either just kind of accept it and say, yeah, you know, look, we just, we just live in a world where um, if you're part of a certain group, you're just going to have worse health. 
and too bad. Or we too bad. Say, hey, you did it to yourself, it. right? That's that's yeah. the, you you should have <laughs> exercised, try harder, don't eat exactly. that McDonald's. Talk talk yeah. about but before we dive into that, you mentioned social sure. determinants of health. And I, I think probably a lot of students, maybe that's the first time they're hearing that term. But talk about it from uh, a, an angle if you could. I, there's there's a lot of discussion about systemic racism in this country and how it doesn't yeah. exist and slavery ended 400 years ago. Some people like to say, which is yeah. <laughs> not true, um, but but that slavery ended however long ago it ended, uh, and um, and uh, and discrimination based on race was <laughs> was made illegal in in yeah. the 60s 1960s i think it was yeah. and, and, and a black president so yeah oh we've it. had a black president who was elected twice therefore how can we be yeah, yeah. i love that one i have a black friend um yeah. <laughs> uh mm-hmm. how how can we help Right. And how can we help students to to really open up their eyes to what everyone in in the U.S. and potentially world is calling systemic racism? How do we open up their eyes to show them that it exists for those who don't mm-hmm. want to see it? Well, what I would say about this is is uh, so as you're listening to this, you may be one of two camps. You either are clear that it that it is a big problem. Or you're like, uh, I don't know. And the reason people say, uh, I don't know, is because uh, systemic racism is really hard to see. The way that I kind of describe it is um, isolated uh, kind, uh, so isolated happenings where something racist happens. That's that's really easy to see. That's like when you go to the doctor and you have a cough. Now, if the reason for your cough is is pneumonia, you can't just look at a human being and say that person has pneumonia, but you can see that they're coughing. Um, and then you run a few different tests. Uh, and so, um, a really good example of how, um, of how systemic racism, uh, of, of how that looks is I point to a study done in, uh, 2001 to 2002, where researchers created 5,000 resumes, all the same. And all they changed was the name and they sent it to 1300 different companies and they purposely picked, uh, you know, quote unquote, black sounding names and white sounding names. So. So one, so on one resume, I think it was Greg, another resume, it was Jamal. One resume was Emily, another resume, it was LaKeisha. Mm-hmm. And they sent out the same exact resumes to two companies. And you know what the difference was? It was uh, huge. 50%. <laughs> I know this study, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 50% callback rate. Yeah. So then they said to themselves, sorry, 50% callback rate for the white sounding resumes, mm-hmm. right? And then, they sent to, and then they said to themselves, what if we improve all the resumes? So they improved them all and sent them back out with with the logic that you send out a better send out a better resume, you get a better result. The white sound the resumes with the white sounding names had a thirty percent increase for the improved resumes. The resumes with the black sounding names had a zero percent increase. Now here's now here's my actual point. That's an example of systemic racism. But how could you see that without doing a full on study, sending five thousand resumes out? Yeah. And so um, for those who don't believe that it's a problem, um, I can see why you don't believe, because it's very hard to see. Basically, a simple way to think about it is that there are seemingly harmless things in our system that produces drastically different results. Yeah. And so you just take that take that study that I talked about and just apply it to the to to the medical world. 
And you start to see a lot of the same outcomes. Really quickly, let me just give you a basic example. A study was done where they reviewed 10,000 hospital records. And what they were trying to find out was, do patients receive the same amount of pain medication after after, uh, the same surgical procedures? And what they found was that uh, black patients, after getting the same exact surgical procedure done, were 40% less likely to receive pain, uh, to receive enough pain medication. And, you know, so then we know that that has a uh, well, Tade, that obviously that's because black people don't experience pain as much, right? We know that it's in textbooks, Tade. I've seen the textbooks. Yeah. And this is why I'm here <laughs> so that we can start to, you know, deal with. And, and, and it wasn't that long ago that the medical students were surveyed and there's still a, a large prevalence yeah. of medical, a, active medical students who, who yep. believe this myth. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know where that comes from. I like, it, obviously it's, it's racism. I understand, right? Your parents teach you that, yeah. that black people are bad and, and oh, this and oh that, but yeah. they're not sitting around going, did you know black people experience less pain than white people? Like, where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, when I, when I teach about systemic racism, it, you know, and I present all these shocking numbers, um, people's next question is this. Okay, we're on board. I now agree with you. It's a huge problem. How can you send out one resume that's, that's, that's the same and have, a, and have a completely different response? And then the next question is this. How does it work? What what can we do about it? And I always point to these two words, implicit bias. Oh, yeah. Um, and now the important thing to remember about implicit bias is that our implicit bias can be, and, and in many cases is, directly opposite of our explicit beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I as a man can say, I truly believe that women are equal to men. And, I, and like, I'm not just saying that, I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Now, if I were to take an implicit bias test, it wouldn't be shocking to find that um, my implicit bias is high in negativity towards women. Todd, if there was a tire that had to be changed and a woman said, give me the wrench, I'm sure you'd be like, are you strong enough to do that? Right. <laughs> that implicit bias would kick in and be like, mm-hmm. no, no, I got it. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like when I talk about it, what I always uh, point to is, is there's this one simple key, which is implicit bias itself. It's not actually bad. It's just nope. a description yep. of how our brain processes info. Uh, yeah. So I always use this, use this kind of example. Whenever I go to Starbucks, I get the same thing. Uh, grande toffee nut latte with one sugar, with, with, with one brown sugar. So when I was living in Philly going to grad school, uh, after 10 days of going to the, to the uh, same place, um, eventually I could be the 15th person in line. The uh, barista would just look at me. You want the usual? I'm like, yeah, sure. So, um, so they eventually just, just created a a mental link. You see me, you see a grande toffee nut latte. And so, uh, that was a way of saving our, ourselves time. So Mm -hmm. then you ask, Hey, that's really cool story. What does this have to do with anything that we're just talking about? Well, it's very simple. The problem is not implicit bias. It's how our brain creates mental links. Uh, Just by virtue of being born into the society that we've been born into, we're constantly exposed to images of minorities doing negative things and images of people in the majority group doing positive things. Um, A really good example, Google got in a lot of trouble in 2016 because if you just typed into Google three black teenagers, Mm -hmm. mugshots came up. And if you typed in three white teenagers, 
uh, <laughs> then pictures of people doing normal stuff come up, right? <laughs> Playing polo. So your always seeing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and so what happens is even though explicitly you say, I have, I have no problem with black people whatsoever. I believe that they're equal to me, right? Yeah. But you've been constantly seeing that so that your implicit bias causes you to unintentionally help to maintain a structure of oppression. And that's uh, right. And and part of it, as you mentioned, right, these shortcuts, that's just the way that we're wired to conserve energy. We, to, to process things faster. We, we quote unquote stereotype and categorize Mm -hmm. everything. There's there's so many good podcasts about this kind of stuff. Um, but it's, it's what happens next and where was that programming from to begin with? And it's interesting to see a lot of, a lot of change happening now. And some people will think it's silly and useless and a waste of time. Things like whitelist and blacklist for, for like the, the, the phone numbers that will allow to come in will is the whitelist. Those are the good phone numbers and the blacklist. That's the bad phone numbers and white and black. I was, I was trying to learn some history on it goes back way further than, than yeah. slavery. Um, but it's still this, like this, this kind of unconscious, like white is good, black is black is bad, and and yeah. when we're in a society, especially in this country, where that's an issue, right? Let's let's try to fix it. Why not? Yeah, so. and you know what's interesting about what you said uh, that that speaks to race as a social construct, and the way that I break that down for people is: so I was born in Nigeria, but raised in the United States. You know the interesting thing about being in Nigeria is that in a sense, there's not, there's no such thing as black. Yep. So think of it like this. You're in a society where all the, all the police and judges and lawyers and doctors are all black yep. and all the criminals are all black. So people, so <laughs> but black people, on black crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, you know, people stop. So yeah. okay, a common thing that I've noticed is this, a lot of people born and raised on the African continent they discover that they're black when they get to the United States yeah. because they because they've never thought of associating anything good or bad with being black because everyone's black. Yep. So to say I'm black in Nigeria is like standing up in in a medical school classroom and saying I'm a med student. Well, <laughs> like, hey, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a human. Yeah, I have one one story. That is kind of along those lines. I went to Kenya um, back in 1998, and we were staying upcountry from Nairobi and uh, staying at a, a local's um, house. And my grandmother uh, had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, right? And it's an outhouse, so you have to leave the house and go out. And so when she was getting up, she she woke up, got out got out of bed, and the like kids in the house. We're like, oh, like she's out of bed. Let's go see if the white came off, right? They didn't understand, right? That oh. that our white skin was our white skin and it wasn't like a paint or a costume or something else. They were really interested. They went to the bed to see oh, if the white came off. They just off. assumed everyone's black. Yeah, it was very interesting, mm-hmm. right? And, and, yeah. and so, and that's cultural appreciation and just understanding is so important yeah. really to understand what's going on in this world and um, 
and, and to really have a broader view of just, I, I was damn lucky to be born in this country as a white guy, but that doesn't mean that I can't appreciate and understand what everyone else is going through and, and work to make it better for everyone else. And, and really at the end of the day, your role at the medical school is how do I bring that to a medical school class? So Talk for a second. I, I want to kind of go to the roots of where a lot of this um, comes from, from a medical school perspective, right? I mentioned the AAMC data shows that African-American students score almost 10%, 10 points lower on the MCAT on average. Why is that? Besides, right, I guess we could just chalk it up to school systems and redlining and home values being tied to school. Like, Mm -hmm. do you think that's all it is or is the MCAT implicitly biased as well? Well, um, what I would say is, so, um, a book that I think will, will that, that everyone should read that I think really takes that question and turns it into a whole book is, I don't know if you've ever heard of whistling Vivaldi. It's by Claude Steele. No, but and, I'll add it to my list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And so he, so um, he brings up something called stereotype threat, which mm-hmm. he said basically, you know, when we when we talk about stereotypes, we always talk about it as how we view others, right? So we say things like men stereotype women, right? But um, the people who are being stereotyped, I mean, they're not unaware of their stereotype. Like if you asked a woman in the, in the sciences, Hey, what are, Hey, do you know what the stereotypes about women are? Or if you asked a black person, do you know what the stereotypes about black people are? Or even a white person, do you know what the stereotypes about white people are? They actually know. And so, uh, he brings up a really kind of interesting theory, uh, which is that because we know what the stereotypes about us are, when we're put into situations where there might be a danger of us fulfilling that stereotype, that becomes a huge distraction to us while we're trying to actually accomplish the thing that we set out to do. So it's kind of like trying to write your five paragraph essay while also doing your math homework. Whereas someone who doesn't have stereotype threat um, can, can just focus on writing the essay. So, I heard of a story or or a a study testing this theory. I I think this is the same theory that it's testing Mm -hmm. where they, they studied handing a test to students, right? Whether it was white students and and black students or whatever it was. And they said, here, here's a test. Everyone does great on this test and, and take it. Right. And everyone does do great versus the, the other group was that like the tested group was here's a test. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You're black. Like black students do much worse on this test. And it showed, right. It's the same exact test. Yeah. The, 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 the test, the, the group where students mm-hmm. weren't told that one group does worse, they all did the same. And the other yeah. group where students were told they did worse, they actually did worse. Is that, is that the same? Well, what they did is they went one step further. They didn't mention race. They just mentioned the, they, they just mentioned the actual stereotype with the assumption that that group knows what the stereotype about them is. Mm. So what they, so, so, so for kind of example, women in sciences, what, what are the stereotypes? They're, they're not, they're not logical thinkers. They're not, they're, they're not good at math. 
So they didn't even have to talk about them being a woman. They, they, they would say things like, this test measures your ability in math. Oh. And then to another group, group of women who had the same exact previous test scores, they would say, this test actually mentions some, something unrelated to math. Yeah. And they would find drastically different results. So what I would say um, is that the real answer to, to your question is, you know, people like nice, neat answers. I'd say that stereotype threat, you have to put it together with a bunch of other things that yeah. you've already mentioned. And that's the answer. But yeah. there's not this one golden thing that like that, that, that uh, we can do that all of a sudden improve a lot of those test scores. So for someone like myself who talks about the MCAT a lot for students, and we know based on the, the data, at least the numbers, that that minorities do worse on this test, that ESL students do much worse on this test. Is that something we should be repeating or should we just stop talking about it and go, good luck? <laughs> um, well, I think that um, what you're really talking about is this. What we're realizing is that, um, okay, the way that we think about medicine is medicine is for objective researchers, mm. right? Like if you want to be a doctor, you need to be objective and you need to be a, a researcher. Someone presents symptoms and you diagnose. Um, and so that's how we like to think about medicine. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember that um, a lot of our medical practices today were not created in this objective bubble. They were, they, they were, they were really cemented, created, and formalized in the 20th century. Okay, what was happening in, in the 20th century? Well, for a lot of people listening, um, one thing that I always mention is this, if you are anywhere from 15 to 20 years older, or so if you're at least 15 years older, what that means is this, your parents were probably born into a world where there were still black only signs and white only signs. Mm. That's, that's how recent it was. And so that's where a lot of things related to medicine today were actually formalized. Yeah. So there. So what that means is there are a lot of seemingly harmless things that are that are that are that are in there that that um, unintentionally dis dis kind of uh, it, it disadvantages people from from certain groups without actually realizing it. At some point today, I want to tell you the I want to tell you about an article from. Lashira Nolan, who is a yeah, fourth year med student. Tell me oh, right now. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, this is one of those articles. I think she wrote this when, when she was a first year med student and I read this and I was like, what am I doing? I have all these degrees and, and I've never done something this well. <laughs> you know, I just, I just wanted to just give up and just, and just, you know, pick up something else. And so she talked about, um, so if, so, um, Stage one Lyme disease. How do you how do you diagnose it? They were going over this in her, I think, in her microbiology class. And uh, commonly, you should see a uh, bullseye, uh, a rash that looks like a bullseye on uh, someone's skin. Yep. So, so the professor is covering this, and they pull up a a, a picture. Yeah. And it's it's a white skin. And it's a pic- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a picture on white skin. Yeah. And she said, someone raised their hand, and they said, would. Uh, would it, like would this be harder to see on darker skin? And basically, the uh, professor said, "Yes, it would. Good observation." And then moved on. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> yeah. And so her point was that you know, her her uh, kind of concern was that if it's harder to see on darker skin, yet we don't actually spend more time practicing how to see it, yeah. um, is this going to lead to drastically different health outcomes? And what she found 
was that so stage one Lyme disease, you just it's uh, you just have that bullseye looking rash. Stage three Lyme disease, you have you're you're presenting with things like arthritis, uh, possible um, uh, um, neurological uh, uh, things. Yep. that are related to that and what <laughs> you're, and, you're not a medical doctor i don't i don't blame you for not yeah, knowing yeah, all yeah, the, yeah, the symptoms yeah, yeah, of, I'm trying to think of all the terms. <laughs> so you get what i'm saying i gotcha and so um she and what she found was that people was that basically in the field there was a much higher percentage of white people being diagnosed with lyme disease at stage one which yep. means there are more treatment options and a much higher percentage of black people being diagnosed at stage three. So, so, so let, me, let me stop you real quick because, because what's going to pop into the head of someone who doesn't want to think down those lines, and maybe they're not listening anymore <laughs> because they don't want to think down these lines, yeah. is they'll go, well, the white people were just taught the signs of uh, tick bites and Lyme infection because their parents knew. And, and so it's, it's, it's their fault, not the doctor's fault for not seeing it. How, how do you draw that, that line? Oh, I'm really <laughs> glad that you actually brought that up. So, um, what that, so what that points us to this is, is uh, this in 1964, that is when hospitals became desegregated legally speaking. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I'll just repeat a, a story that I, that I told before. Medgar Evers, um, civil rights leader, uh, he, was, he was shot and he was bleeding out. And he's taken to a white-only hospital and they said, hey, sorry, we, even though he's bleeding out, we can't see him here because this is a white-only hospital. They only let him in um, because he's Medgar Evers. So my, so my point is that 50 years ago, uh, 60, 70 years ago, if you, were, if you were a white doctor, you were guaranteed to only see white patients. So it made sense that all these pictures should be of diseases on white skin, diseases mm. in white people. I didn't even people. think about it in that sense. Yep. Wow. And so, and so that's and so that was the social environment in which a lot of our medical practices today were actually formalized and and cemented. So we have things that are leftovers from that. So yeah. it's not that someone is sitting around and saying. I want black people to have worse health outcomes. So yep. let's make sure that we only use pictures of, of white skin. It's just that that's how it's been because of that particular background. Does yep. that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete and so, sense. And so that's why um, in, in kind of addition to, uh, you know, obviously doing really well in chemistry, doing really well in, in uh, biology, we now we're also looking to increase the the diversity within medical school, you know, by actual just having more Hispanic, more, yep. more, more uh, black doctors, but also looking to have white doctors who are asking the kinds of questions that you're asking, uh, because there's a large part of the population that's just not being serviced properly because the healthcare system that is serving them was produced in an environment where it was legal to not serve them. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Continue on with this, uh, this woman's story. Is oh, there more yeah. to it? This article? Uh, yeah. 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 Basically, um, her, her whole point was that you take this small detail, which is you just use that picture to recognize Lyme disease. Yeah. And it has a huge impact in the field. You have people who could have been diagnosed stage one 
now being diagnosed stage three. And then she added two more examples. Uh, she uh, pointed out that that when they learned CPR, they used white male mannequins. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you give CPR to someone who has breasts? Mm-hmm. How do you give CPR to a to a pregnant woman? So. Um, you know, all these different things uh, she uh, started to notice. And her whole point is that you have these huge um, healthcare problems in the field, and they all came from seemingly harmless uh, details in, in medical school. Yeah. So that's why. Um, I, I, like that know, you, I like that you frame it that way, right? Seemingly yeah. harmless. I, I think a, a huge wall that students are putting up in, in people are putting up with this whole systemic racism issue is I'm not racist, right? I I don't go out every day and go, I hate black people. Black people are bad. Therefore, systemic racism doesn't exist. It can't exist. But really at the end of the day, as you said, right, these seemingly harmless little things, just they add up over time to, we have a healthcare system that's failing African-Americans. We have an educational system that's failing African-Americans. We have all these systems that are failing African-Americans. Some things were done on purpose, but a lot of things are just small little things that just have added up, added up, added up. Yeah. And, you know, what you said um, is is the premise for another book that I would recommend. It's called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Oh, and, he's a Florida Gator. So I haven't, oh, really? I haven't read that book yet, but I, I've listened yeah. to a bunch of his interviews and I, I love him. I, I forget his name off the top of my head, but yeah. I, I know he's a Gator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and so his, his whole point is that there's a difference between, between not being racist and yep. between being anti-racist. Um, a really good example is something that is, that is happening now, which is this. You could, you could not have coronavirus, right? Um, now, how can you be anti-coronavirus? Put a mask on. <laughs> wear, when, a mask. <laughs> wear a mask when, when, you, when you go outside. So, what, so what, is, what is the difference? One is yeah. passive and one is active. Yeah. And because um, even, even though you, know, you may not be racist, we were born into a society that that had its structure created when racism was was completely legal. So what that means is that it's not enough to just not do something. We need to be anti that thing. Yeah, I love it. Ibram Kendi is the the author. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. There was no way that I was going to remember that. So thank you. <laughs> well, awesome. What what else as a, a parting gift here to the listener? What else? Um, really, I think at the end of the day, the the question that I ask, unfortunately, it falls on um, on a lot of my African American guests, which I'm learning through this on how to how to be an anti racist. So I, it's not your job to teach me how how to fix this problem. It's a white problem, uh, and there is an amazing podcast series. I don't know if you've listened to it yet. Uh, amazing podcast series called seeing white uh and it's from seen on radio is the podcast name seen on radio s-c-e-n-e seen seen on radio it's season two back from 2017 so it's before george floyd and and, uh, a lot of what's going on um and it's a 14 part season and it's just phenomenal and it, it takes a look at racism from the white side of it 
right? And mm. and how <laughs> how everything's been set up. And and like I was in tears listening to this, literally in tears, wow. driving home from Chipotle, wow. going to get lunch, listening to a story of the D- Dakota. Uh, um, Native Americans going back to to um, to Minnesota where they were kicked out of brutally, uh, and and just what the story in there was just it was phenomenal. Wow. So amazing podcast series everyone should listen to. But what what I want to leave a student with, and hopefully thousands upon thousands upon thousands of students will hear this, will will act on this, will work towards being an anti-racist, um, both as a pre-med student, as a medical student, as a physician, where can they start to, to be an anti-racist, to be an ally for the community, to promote diversity and equity um, among their peers, among their schools, where, wherever they are at now? So... Um, I think that when that question is asked, everyone expects me to say, increase your knowledge. Um, what I would say is that that's not, is that is not bad, but there's, but there's a term that I recently coined just cause I couldn't find another way to describe it. But one thing that I would say is you can track your non-transactional intergroup contact. So let me just break down what that, what that actual term means. Um, what it means is that although we are born into a, into a society that's not legally segregated. Uh, um, most of us still live in a very segregated way. Meaning, if you're white, you come from a community that's predominantly white. The good neighborhood, the clean yeah. neighborhood, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, or if you're or if you're if if you're bilingual, everyone in your community is probably bilingual. If you're black, you come from a community that's 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 predominantly black. Yeah. So then, when we interact with other groups. Most of our interaction is transactional, meaning I'm white, I have a black coworker, or I'm black, I have a, I, I have a coworker who is Chinese American, yeah. right? Um, but um, one thing that I always ask people is this: think about growing up and think about your own household now. If you're, you know, if you have your own household now, how many people who don't look like you actually came into your house and had dinner when when you were growing up? Now, here's why that's really important, because we talked about implicit bias before. One really interesting thing about implicit bias is that increasing our knowledge has a huge impact on our explicit bias, you know, like racism, right? But it doesn't actually have that much of an impact on our implicit bias. What does is human experience. So one thing that that, uh, you can do just, just to kind of tie that whole thought together is Whenever you talk about medicine and you want to see progress, what, what do we do? We always track it. So, for example, if I want to lose weight, I don't just start eating healthy and say, I, I feel lighter. I weigh myself and then I change my diet and then I weigh myself after, you know, four weeks, right? So, same thing. What you can do is you can set a goal for non-transactional intergroup cont- uh, contact at the beginning of a month. And then look at how you did related to that goal at the end of that month. Here's why that's really important. Because what you and I just just did today, that will do more for a human being related to everything that we talked about than listening to 14 lectures about implicit bias, about systemic depression, different things like that. I have a I have a close friend who he says things that I'm like, you're insane. I mean, he just has a completely, you know, he's He's like, he's, he's, he's a white guy from a wealthy neighborhood. And, 
you know, I'm not right. Yeah. And so he just has a completely different view about everything, but we're, but we're really close because we're able to have dialogue and still say, Hey, I love you, man. And I've learned more from him and he's learned more from, I've, I've seen him have, have, have moments right in front of me where he was like, huh, I never thought about that. And see, so the more that you can increase your non-transactional intergroup contact, and um, what I would say is, how do you know whether it's increasing? You have to track it. Yeah. And so just in a simple way, non-transactional means that there's not an outward factor that's forcing you to have that particular transaction. It's not because you're at a restaurant and your waiter is Hispanic, yeah. you know, or black or, or white. It's, uh, it's not because you're at, it's not because you're, you're at work. That will produce an environment where you can have real dialogue. Yeah. When you begin to have real dialogue, even if you never fully agree with, with, a, with a different human being, your view of that particular group will become layered as opposed to one-dimensional. And that's something that you can start doing today. I'm a huge fan of alliteration and buying websites, website domains. And so as you were talking about this, these non-transactional interactions, I'm like, ooh, diversity dinners. That would be cool. I'm like, oh man, somebody already thought about that good idea. Um, but that's really something, right? Have have a, a, a group of students, um, have a sign-up sheet, have a potluck, bring different, different foods from different cultures. And I think that would be amazing. So... Yeah, I, I love it. Um, all right, Hackensack. That's what apparently everyone needs to uh, apply to that school because uh, not only talking to you uh, and all the amazing stuff, it sounds like you guys are working on there, but but I I heard about Hackensack in a, in a book recently talking about all the amazing things you're doing for the community. So mm-hmm. that's where students should apply to school. So Tade, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. There you go again, Dr. Tade Ayeni. Amazing, amazing uh, conversation about diversity, about equity, equality, inclusion, and so much more. So if you are moved by this and you want to learn how to help, uh, help diversity, help equity, um, maybe reach out to Dr. Ayeni and see. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.